Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm Jared St. Clair, and I am really grateful to have the opportunity today to interview someone who does something that I'd never heard of, uh, had no idea this existed, and yet I think is maybe as revolutionary of an idea and as beautiful of a, a new system of communication, I'll say, without giving it away, uh, that uh, I've ever seen and incredibly needed. Uh, I had an opportunity about three weeks ago, maybe something like that, three, four weeks ago uh, here in Utah to go to a theater to watch a film, a documentary called Spellers. Now, if you haven't heard of Spellers, I did uh, post a little bit about it on uh, Facebook and Instagram and, and that kind of thing. But if you haven't heard of this film, uh, we'll, we'll tell you during the interview how to see it. And I will say that I am a softie, no doubt. Um, I am an easy cry. I'm, uh, I, I've been told in many cases that I'm wired emotionally a little bit more like a woman than a guy. And uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but uh, I cry at, at sad movies. I like chick flicks, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't know if I've ever watched a movie that had me more emotionally... Um, in its grasp, we'll say, from start to finish than I did with Spellers. I just kept finding the most beautiful, joyful reasons to cry, uh, maybe that I've ever seen in in my life. It was truly uh, an incredibly moving experience, uh, not because it even related to me personally. I don't have uh, any specific use for this, I guess, in my life with my family uh, and my uh, close loved ones. However, I do have a lot of friends who may find beauty and game-changing information within this film. And I kept thinking back to them and to their children and thinking, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what would I do with this information uh, if I found it for the first time and I were in their shoes? And so I immediately, after the film, uh, made sure that I got an opportunity to meet my guest, uh, who I'm going to introduce you to in just a moment, who is a uh, practitioner in this form of communication. And now I will uh, tell you a little bit about uh, about her and about what she does, and, and we'll interview her and get all that information out for you. Her name is Kinsey Showers. She is what is known as a spelling to communicate practitioner. She's been doing uh, uh, spelling, as they call it, uh, since 2018. She's been a practitioner in it uh, since 2021. That doesn't sound like very long, but you have to also understand that this is brand new stuff. Uh, and so what we have here is actually a pretty a significant veteran, I guess, we have on our hands uh, in what is called Spelling to Communicate. Kinsey Showers, I am so excited to introduce you to my audience. Thank you for joining us on Vitality Radio. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. So Kinsey is local here in Utah, but there are people that do this uh, across the world. And uh, in the show notes, uh, the show description, you'll have um, links to how to watch the film, Spellers, um, how to get the book uh, that the, the film is based on, and also how to find a practitioner near you uh, if you need one for yourself or for a family or friend, uh, a fa family member or friend. But I am was so excited because through this entire film, Kenzie, I was wondering, is there someone that does this around me? And then at the end, you stood up and did questions and answers, and I got to find out, ah, there is someone that does this by me here in Utah. So I, uh, I like I said, grabbed you immediately and said, you got to come on my podcast. You've been gracious enough to do that. So tell us what a spelling to communicate practitioner actually is. So a uh, spelling to communicate practitioner is somebody who's gone through a good amount of training to learn how to do spelling to communicate. Um, and what that is, is teaching 
essentially gross motor skills to non-speaking people or unreliably speaking people, how to communicate through the use of a letter board. Um, I brought one with me in case you wanted to see it. Excellent. So, this is what a typical one looks like. If you're um, listening on, if you're just listening and not watching, by the way, this is a, uh, it looks like a stencil with every letter in the alphabet from A to Z. Uh, yeah. It has a little place to hold your hand and the stencils, the, the letters are uh, stenciled out so that you can poke through them. Yep. So we're really just creating purposeful motor pathways in the body so that this non-speaking population can have access to communication. Okay, and so is this in the film? It's it's I believe it's all autistic uh, uh, people who are spelling. Uh, mm -hmm. Is it all or mostly autistic people that you're working with? In my experience, mostly people with autism. Um, but I, you know, I've mentored some people who work with people with Down syndrome, some gene deletions, um, mm. CP. It really depends. But in my experience, it's been mostly people with autism. Yeah. Okay. So what I found revolutionary in the film, and frankly, what opened my eyes to something I'd never even thought of before, and I think would be the case with almost everybody that watches this show, is that um, the kids with that, that have, uh, that, that are on the, you know, what do they call nonverbal end of the spectrum, uh, the autism spectrum, have been considered, as I understand it, and please correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but as I understand it, have been considered essentially mentally handicapped, like they're mm -hmm. not capable of communication. Mm -hmm. But what has been discovered through this form of spelling is that it's more of a motor skill issue, a neurological issue that impacts their motor skills, not their mental ability to communicate. And so mm -hmm. they can't communicate because they can't get words out, but it doesn't mean that they can't come up with words and mm -hmm. come up with sentences and full paragraphs and actually communicate those if there is a way for them to do it other than speaking or uh, sign language. Is that a pretty accurate description? You're exactly right. It's all motor. Okay. So this is like mind blowing to me. I don't know what your experience has been. You've met a lot more people that have come into this for the first time like me, but uh -huh. is that generally the reaction you get is like, what? This this is possible? Yeah, I usually get one of two reactions. One is like yours where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's been like this the entire time and we didn't know. Or the other one is just like complete denial, which like, I don't blame that reaction either, but it's either super ecstatic, super excited, or just utter denial where people are like, no, it's, that can't be. So people just simply won't believe it or choose not to believe it. Um, it depends on the person, but a lot of times I think it comes from a place of being told so long that this population isn't capable of thinking or feeling. And so when you've been told for all this time that this population is one way, and then someone like me comes in and says, that's probably not right. It's a bit of a shift in the way you have to think. So it's a lot to digest. Yeah, it's well, and it's like any other new paradigm like that, I guess it's, uh, it almost gets to be to the point of just pure dogma, almost religion that we buy into because we've been told it all our lives. Yeah. Um, and so then you, you, you have a completely different way of potentially looking at it. And I don't know if that's, I, I don't know, I don't understand exactly what it is in human nature, um, but uh, it almost feels like a fear of accepting that maybe you've been wrong for a long time. People don't like to be wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we saw a lot of that over the last few years of the craziness in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's interesting to me, though, because as I'm watching this film, there's some there's definitely some talk about this being a, a controversial topic that uh, some people, particularly people that are considered experts in the field of uh, research with uh, autism, are saying this isn't real. It, there's no evidence of it. There's no proof. Right. And then throughout the film, all we see is proof and evidence. At least that's what I saw uh, with actual children, uh, sometimes adult children at this point, uh, who are have not communicated before uh, in an effective way, suddenly being able to communicate not just with a word here or a word there, but full sentences and paragraphs. In fact, 
Kinsey, it's interesting. I knew Spellers was coming up as soon as I saw it on Facebook. Kristen Chevrier, our mutual friend, uh, posted it and, and uh, helped host this event. I knew I wanted to see it. Honestly, I had no idea what the heck it was about. I had no idea <laughs> what it was about. And I was just grateful that Kristen is the one that posted it because I want to see anything she wants to see. Mm -hmm. uh, because I've had enough time with Kristen to know that if she's interested, I'm interested. So I went in eyes pretty much closed to what I was actually about to see. Uh, but knowing, hey, if Kristen's in it, in fact, because Kristen uh, was doing it and because she needed a little support with it, we even sponsored it uh, from Vitality even before I knew what it was because I just wanted to help what I know is an amazing organization right. in your health freedom here in Utah. So I was um, almost completely blindsided, but I did have a little bit of a sneak peek. Mm -hmm. I don't know how this happened. It was really interesting and these things happen, I guess, for a reason sometimes, but three, four days before this, the film aired here in Utah, I was um, I was searching for something completely unrelated on YouTube, mm -hmm. and I came across uh, a comment about a video that I had watched. I don't even remember what the heck the video was that I was watching, but I came across a comment, and it was from a father whose daughter had uh, written lyrics to a song, spelling with one of these boards that you just showed me, um, and it was... And, and he explained it in pretty rough terms what had mm -hmm. happened here. Uh, I still didn't quite understand it. And there was no video of her actually spelling it or anything. It was just music that had been put to this to the lyrics that she had written. But the lyrics were absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it was essentially her plea to people that weren't buying into this that, hey, this is real and you need to listen to us because we can speak, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I... Honestly, didn't know if that's what I was going to be seeing in the film a few days later, but it made sense in my head that maybe that's what I was going to be watching. And I sat and cried through the song <laughs> that she wrote. It was amazing. I thought, this is just unbelievable. So I've got my oldest child is in her mid 20s. She's about ready to um, give me a grandchild, which is really exciting. Um, my youngest child is 10. Um, all of them have no autism of, of mm -hmm. any kind and, and can communicate, you know, uh, completely normally. Um, but I have a dear friend who used to work for me at Vitality Nutrition, whose oldest son is a nonverbal uh, mm -hmm. uh, child, and he's in his 20s as well now. And it's been an incredible challenge. And uh, that it was it was their family that I kept thinking about over and over and over again. In fact, I was texting her doing, during the movie. I tried to get her to come to the movie, but she was mm -hmm. unable to do it because of a family emergency. So I bought her one of the books, and I told her we're going to watch the movie at my place. And so we're going to do that very soon. But all I could think about was how incredibly joyful and I don't know what the word is. I don't know if there's a strong enough word that I would be as a father to finally be able to communicate with my child if that was a possibility. So I do have a question for you. Yeah. Do you believe, and, and I, I imagine this is new enough that maybe you don't have a concrete answer to this. Do you believe that all uh, people that are nonverbal uh, on the autism spectrum can do this or are they not all capable of doing this? Um, so it is a new practice. It was founded in 2015. I um, And I'm going to preface this with my experience so you have context to my answer. Um, I worked at Invictus Academy Tampa Bay, which is a school in Florida that caters entirely to non-speakers and unreliable speakers. It was okay. founded by Dana Johnson, who's in the movie, and Elizabeth Vossler, who was also in the movie, is the one who taught us this method. Um, I was there for about four and a half years. We had close to... 60 students coming through and that's probably not an accurate number but we had a lot of students come through and there was not a single student that didn't use the boards as a form of communication really yeah now was that school founded specifically to do this or was it working with these kids prior to the development of, of this technique it was working just with this population. Dana Johnson's an occupational therapist, and she hired me to work there. And when I first started working there, we weren't doing this at all. But we okay. were still presuming competence, like they talk about in the movie, where we would you know, use age-appropriate content, 
speak to them in an age-appropriate way, and we tried our best to give them options. But once Elizabeth Fossler introduced us to this method, it just kind of, we're like, okay, this is what we're doing. And every single student is going to have this, and this is the way it's going to be. Um, and now I believe there's four schools worldwide that do oh, wow. this type of communication. But personally, I have not met somebody, somebody who can't do it. Wow, that's absolutely amazing. That was actually a question I meant to ask you that night and, and, and forgot to. So what do you walk us through what you actually do? If someone were to come to you uh, and say, you know, we'd like to try this for our child, um, what's the process? Because you're not you don't have a full school running. You work on these with these people one on one, I assume. Yes. OK, so what does that look like? So I usually go to them and meet them. I'm pretty new to Utah, so I don't have my own building practice yet. Just okay. I'm new. Um, so I go to them. I try and get some background from the parent. You know, what does their schooling look like? Um, tell me their history with education. I'm a teacher by trade, so I like learning those kinds of things. Um, and then I usually have lessons picked out. And I can elaborate on lessons later if you want, but it's just a way to scaffold motor demand in order to practice the board. So based on their age, I'll choose a topic for us to talk about that day. And I'll explain to them like, hey, we're going to try out a new communication method. It might feel weird at first because I don't think anybody's asked you to do this type of thing before. Um, so then I'll show them, you know, what does it look like when we poke a letter on the board? What does our posture have to look like? I go through all of the things that I expect the speller to do. And I also explain to the parent why I do the things that I do. Um, but for the first session, depending on who it is, I will, you know, do some questions with them. I'll talk to the parent about the process. And then I create goals for that person. So are our goals to increase accuracy on one type of board? Are our goals to just stay seated for at least 10 minutes or remain, you know, seated in the proper posture while we're spelling? And for each session, you know, I type up our goals. I type up notes and I type up a transcript and send it to the parents. That way we have a way to track progress. Um, the first session is usually the most labor intensive because I'm learning the family dynamics. I'm learning about mm -hmm. the speller. I'm setting goals. Um, so yeah, that's what the first one usually looks like. Do you typically spend an hour or a couple of hours or what, what is, what's a session look like that way? Usually about an hour. I would say okay. about 45 minutes of it is spent actually spelling. The other 15 is, you know, chatting with the parent. Um, sometimes I'm typing notes with the parent talking about goal setting, but there are some times where, you know, I have an hour session, but the speller's so dysregulated that we spend maybe 10 minutes spelling and the rest of the time we do purposeful motor or we just listen to a podcast and I try and help them regulate. Okay. So then another question that came to mind that mm -hmm. I am super curious about and haven't asked you before is uh, these are kids who haven't been I guess, quote unquote, spelling uh, up until the time you meet them, right? They're not given spelling words. They're not in spelling bees. They're not doing any of the things that a typical kid would do uh, in school. Can they actually spell or are you also teaching them to spell, if, if that makes sense? I get that question a lot. Um, we don't teach them to spell. So I actually talked to a speller about this the other day. She's 30 years old. And when you say a speller, you mean someone who has learned to do this, who wasn't communicating before? Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. She's a non-speaker. Um, okay. She's 30 years old and we were chatting about this. And she was, she said that she spent so much of her life observing and watching and listening. And she's like, when you're in a restaurant and the news is playing, there's words all over the screen. And so it's not that we can't spell, it's that no one taught us explicitly how to spell, so we had to pick up that skill on our own. So just through observation? Yep. All right. Uh, is there a, maybe an average age or something of, of people that you tend to work with? Are these typically older kids or young adults, or can you start much younger than that? How does that work? My spellers perfectly, or particularly Currently. all mm -hmm. over the board, you know, I have someone that I work with that's 30 years old and I have someone that I work with that's seven years old. Oh, wow. uh, 
we typically like to start around five or six years old, just because that's when neurotypical children are, you know, typically acquiring language skills, spelling skills. They're starting to know the alphabet. So that's when we usually start. Okay. Uh, obviously, if you can, but if someone finds out about this and has a 20-year-old, you can start then as well. Yep. All right. So how? what's the story of how this was developed? Because this is so radical, in my opinion, compared to what anybody ever thought, certainly compared to what I thought. In fact, I've always felt like nonverbal... Um, you know, that end of the of the autism spectrum, I don't know how to say mm -hmm. this correctly, but uh, people that are all the way over there and can't communicate, that it just feels like this incredible trap that they're in for their entire life. Mm -hmm. uh, because with everything that is, with all the challenges that can come with autism, not being able to communicate must be unbelievably frustrating. And, and I know that one of the things that we see with, with uh, kids like that is... Um, sometimes aggressive behavior, uh, anger, and, and these types of things. Mm -hmm. Has it been demonstrated first that, or, or have they told you now that they can communicate with you that part of the reason for that aggression is just pure frustration? It's, it's interesting about that specifically because some spellers have different answers on that. Um, we try not to label those types of things like biting, hitting, scratching as mm -hmm. behaviors, because when you say behaviors, there's intent behind it. So if I have a behavior of cutting people off when they talk, that puts purpose behind my actions. Do you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Sure. And a lot of times these impulsivities of scratching or hair pulling or hitting, there's no purpose behind it. It's impulsive motor movements. And so sometimes we don't, we don't like to say behavior just because we know that half the time they don't mean to hurt us, you know, actually. So it's just, <laughs> it's just part of the neurological damage that, that they've dealt with or that they've been dealt. And because, yeah, you will see also them hitting themselves and mm -hmm. doing things like that as well. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. So then the, the, the question I in, in initially intended to ask there, and then I got sidetracked with myself, uh, is because this is such a radical idea, I, I'm curious, give us a little bit of the history of how it came about. Obviously, it predates you doing it. Uh, when when it was started, who was it that started it? And how did they come up with this as a concept in the first place? I don't know the exact details, but I do know um, there is a woman, I believe she's in Texas now. Her name is Soma. And she developed RPM, which is rapid prompting method, maybe in the 80s. Um, and, you know, she's really widely known in this community. Everybody knows Soma. Um, and that was kind of like the start. And then Elizabeth Vossler is a speech language pathologist who is in Virginia. And I believe she was working with Soma and kind of just said, okay, we need to I want to do this, but I believe she made some changes and I think she technically started it in 2015. So she does have a background in speech language pathology. There are a lot of SLPs involved in this as well as occupational therapists. And it just kind of, you know, blew up and grew into what it is now. Interesting. Did either of these people have autistic children themselves? I'm not sure of? about Soma. I don't okay. believe Elizabeth does. Okay. Just curious where the kind of motivations were and that kind of thing. It's, a, it's such a fascinating mm -hmm. topic to me. So with, if, if you've got, I've got two different kinds of people who are listening now, of course, I've got people who actually are very familiar with um, uh, what it's like to have someone on the spectrum and, and the nonverbal, you know, whether it's their child or, or someone close to them. And then I would anticipate most of the people listening are more like me. They know of people, but they aren't super mm -hmm. close to that person necessarily um, and and haven't lived with it on a regular basis to see what it's it's like. So the question I have for that, that person to help uh, them understand a little bit more uh, where we're coming from here, mm -hmm. we have this new thing, spelling to communicate. Um, it's groundbreaking and revolutionary and controversial, 
mm-hmm. and then there's kind of a standard thing. I talk a lot about Vitality Radio about the standard of care mm-hmm. in medicine that, you know, mm-hmm. everybody kind of gets the same treatment based on the same illness, you know, that kind of thing. With people that are nonverbal, uh, non-speakers, what is typical, uh, typically recommended for them to the parents that have those children in terms of education or um, how they're how they're typically treated, I guess, through the, the regular systems that are in place? So the majority of people have been, you know, told by doctors and professionals that their child, you know, won't progress past a certain age range of development. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've met students that are 17 years old and their parents said they've been doing first grade math their entire lives. And, I recently worked with a boy in middle school who was in the special ed room. He wasn't learning grade appropriate con- or age appropriate content. And that was normal. You know, I worked in public school and I saw fifth graders still trying to match colors and sort things. And that is the typical experience for a lot of the families that I work with. Hmm, okay. And so what there was a method of, of um, I, I don't even know what it's called, a method of education or something that was talked about in the film. I don't remember the name of it that is more typical uh, and, and that has been what's been recommended for nonverbal people um, that isn't what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, what's that called? Do you know what I'm referring to? I'm afraid I don't. Um, so it was, it, it was in the film, they talked about a very specific methodology that's been used. Uh, some people said that they felt like it was actually even borderline abusive. Oh, oh, uh, ABA. Okay. And what does that stand for? I believe applied behavioral analysis. Okay. So what do you know about that? Obviously you're not a practitioner in it mm-hmm. or whatever, but what can you explain about that just so that we can sort of contrast that to this? And this isn't me in any way saying one is good or bad or whatever. Right. It's just, I'm really curious for people listening. What's the difference? What is a typical parent of a child like this generally being told they ought to do versus this new method that you're talking about? Um. From what I've learned from the families that I work with, it mainly uses uh, classical and operant conditioning to kind of work these quote unquote behaviors out of autistic individuals. So, you know, they work on flapping, they work on any kind of motor loop that they may have that is quote unquote unpleasant for other people. Um, some spellers that have gone through ABA that I've talked with have described it as like them trying to make autistic people more normal instead of learning how to adapt to those differences and celebrating them. But I will say that there are some families that have said, you know, ABA is what helped potty train my kid. And Mm -hmm. my kid wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. So I think, you know, it it depends on where you go and who you see. But I will say I have also had a lot of spellers say that was really traumatic for me. You know, they Mm kind of treated me like I was incompetent and out of control. So I think it depends on each person's experience. But that's what I've learned about ABA. Okay, so then it sounds like, and and again, I don't know anything about it really, it sounds like it's more of a um, behavioral modification than it is an education. Is that a fairly safe way to say it? That's what I've gathered. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. And and that is, and and I would anticipate it's essentially a, a form of therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like all therapy, at least in my opinion, there's kind of good, bad, and other, uh, it, depending on the fit with the therapist themselves and the individual, you know, receiving therapy. So I'm sure there's a bunch of different ranges of outcome with that. Yeah. Absolutely. So here's the, one of the big questions I have though, it, that, and it's a silly question for me to ask. And, and I know you don't know me well, Kenzie, but people who listen to this show, show do know Absolutely. that as a general rule... As a general rule, I'm the one that's looking for the alternative thing anyway. So I get really excited when I see something like this and really dismayed when I see that it's being dismissed. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that with a lot of things over the years because when my parents started my health food store when I was five years old, I'm 50 now. So we were in a alternative space 
for my whole life mm-hmm. and my everything from my friends making fun of me because of the type of sack lunch that I brought to school that was all, you know, natural and organic and, uh, you know, all that sort of thing to everything in between. And so I'm kind of used to being on the fringe of a lot of this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But this one, particularly within the movie, as I was seeing people saying, just dismissing it out of hand, saying there's not enough evidence, there's not enough evidence. Mm -hmm. Um, first off, how in the world do we get enough evidence if we don't look into it further, if we just dismiss it altogether? That's the, an obvious question to me. But the secondary question would be, what's your take on why it's being dismissed? Why wouldn't people at least want to look at it and explore it? Because the potential, if this really works, the potential for it is unbelievable and truly game and life changing in ways that I can't imagine almost anything else being. Right. I have a few answers. Um, one of them is people are scared of being wrong. You know, how many yes. times have there, has there been an autistic person in the room and you've been talking about them or saying that they'll mm-hmm. never amount to anything and they were hearing you the whole time. That's a really heavy thing to realize that you've been wrong. Um, and, you know, a lot of parents say that too. They're like, how many times did I talk about them? How many times did I you know, expect them not to be great. That's really hard to come to terms with. Um, Second of all, we use prompting in the beginning of S2C. So we start with a board that looks like this, where it's a stencil board, but the letters are a lot bigger and the letters are split up on three boards. That's because we want to have a bigger motor target. So when we start the process, we're prompting. I'm saying like, all right, eyes on the letter, find that next one. All right, go poke it. And I'm using my hand to try and help them. And people see that and they go, it's fake. She's telling them exactly what to say. But what they don't see is me over time fading those prompts back. What they don't see is like people in the movie where you just hold the board and you say, all right, say what you want to say, because those prompts are meant to fade out. But since there are prompts in the beginning, a lot of people are really hesitant to think that it's a valid method. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. But mm-hmm. it also kind of flies in the face of regular education. I mean, how do we teach a, a, a neurotypical kid to spell? You're we right. have to start somewhere, right? There has right. to be some promptings and they have to become familiar with the alphabet because they weren't familiar with the alphabet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we start to teach them to read. And and what I remember going back to, you know, reading with my kids when they were first learning to read and to the point where, you know, at the beginning, I'm reading the entire book. And once we've read it 20 times, my child's reading it to me or in some cases just repeating it to me because yeah. uh, he knows it so well. But it's all prompting. It's it's uh, that's normal education, I think. I don't come from a teaching background like you, but is it really different? No, I mean, you know, we prompt kids to do all the time in a neurotypical classroom and it's the same here. Like I was thinking back on the movie and, you know, JB and Jamie and Elizabeth and all the spellers that were featured there, they can communicate without prompting. And that's beautiful. And we want everybody to get there. But the movie doesn't show the process to get there. And it's a lot of hard work. And it does start with prompting, but that's meant to be faded out completely. Well, uh, eventually, it's, well, go ahead and finish your thought and then I'll ask. Oh, I was going to do a separate point. So you go ahead. Oh, OK. Well, I was just going to say, eventually, these these people are able to actually get all the way to typing this even out on a, a type of keyboard. Is that right? Yes. yes. And, and that would be without prompting. Now they're communicating essentially completely on their own. Correct. And if if a previously non-communicative, I'll say, because they're still non-speakers, right, at that mm-hmm. point, um, person is able to communicate on their own and tell you how they're feeling, does it ever, does it matter that they were prompted in the beginning to learn how to do that? No, because in the beginning, we're only asking them, you know, questions that we know they know because we use lessons. So we read a chunk, we ask them questions. When we're prompting them, we're asking questions that were explicitly stated in the text, like you do in a lot of public schools. Um, Mm -hmm. But once it gets to open communication where I can say, you know, what are your thoughts on this? I'm not going to prompt them because they're not my words. They're this person's words. And there shouldn't be any influencing by the practitioner or the communication partner on that, which is why the prompting is faded out. 
So I have to anticipate that this comes from a wide or, or that there's a wide range of answers to this, because just like every other every neurotypical student, these people are all different, right? right. None of them are the same. None of them are at the same level. Uh, and, and I would anticipate even that they have significant differences in how autism is affecting them in terms of their motor skills and things like that. Right. So I don't even know if you can answer this question, but I'm, I'm curious from a time frame standpoint, what are you typically seeing? Or, or again, is there a typical thing in terms of starting out with this really simple process where you've got seven or eight letters on a board, mm -hmm. uh, three boards to represent the entire alphabet um, to getting them all the way to the where they can communicate on their own? Is this mm -hmm. months, years? You know, what does that look like? That's such a hard question. I get it all the time. <laughs> I figured it would be. <laughs> yeah, but it's it is really hard just because everybody's at a different starting point when I meet them. So, you know, one girl that I worked with, I could talk with her openly the first time I ever worked with her. And then wow. there have been people that I've been working with since October and we're just starting to get to the board with all of the letters and we're just starting to get to more challenging motor questions or more challenging cognitive questions. So it really depends on where that person is once I meet them. But, Does, you know, a lot of people say like at least a year. Okay. Does, uh, does age seem to play much of a role? No, not really. I mean, it, really. it so, obviously plays a role in how they speak, but not sure. in the process itself. Okay. All right. So then you said October, just in case somebody's listening to this down the road, we're recording it in June. So that's about, mm -hmm. you know, eight, nine months um, of, of, well, let me ask you this. What does the training actually look like? What, is it is it a session or two a week? Is it a few sessions a week? Does it start bigger and in? I, know, how does that look? I gauge that also on, you know, their abilities once I see them for this specific person that I started working with in October. I see them once a week for an hour and that's what we do. I have other people where I see them, you know, three times a week and I'm only spelling hmm. with them for one of those sessions. I'm also training their parent to work with them. Oh, okay. And is there, are you generally assigning homework, so to speak, with the parent after each session or does that not start until you've hmm. gotten down the road a little bit? What does that look like? I usually wait until I train the parent. So when I train the parent, I obviously teach them to do what I'm doing. And then I'll leave them with a lesson and say, these are the types of questions you should be answering. Um, only do a session for this long, record it so I can see it. And when I coach the parents, I also take like extensive notes on what I see and send it to them. That way they can still communicate with their child when they're at home but they're doing it the right way. Okay. Interesting. All right. And so then, man, this is so fascinating to me. <laughs> what would you say has been your experience with parents that are, I would anticipate that every parent is somewhat skeptical that this mm -hmm. is going to work for their child. Is that yeah. safe to say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they come in skeptical, but hopeful, mm -hmm. I would, would guess. Um, how many sessions would you say you see it takes before the parent is saying, oh my goodness, this is actually working, even if they're not able to communicate yet, but they can start to see the wheels turning and the progress happening enough. They're saying, this is something that's going to work for my child. I would say at the soonest, probably the second, the first session can be a little messy just because I'm introducing a brand new task. They're sometimes running around and I'm trying to learn about them, but around well, you're a stranger too, right? So exactly. they yeah. don't know me. So, yeah. you know, I'd say around like the second session when we're starting to get in the groove of things, but yeah, it's, I I've even had parents that are skeptical for six months and then their child says something on the boards. Like, what was it? we had a question, we were talking about the Wizard of Oz. And I said, if you had a pair of magical shoes, what color would they be? And she said, some shade of green, which is huge because that's like an open-ended response. She's not just saying yeah. green. And her parents saw that and they were like, oh my God, she said that? I was like, mm-hmm. And they were just like over the moon about it. So it depends on the person too. And what session was that in? Sorry. 
this was in just like a normal spelling session, probably a month ago. And I had been okay. working with them since October. So. Oh, since October. Okay. So this yeah. is one of the ones that's been a little bit slower to, yeah. to catch on and, and yeah. get it going. Okay. And for, for those people that aren't as familiar maybe too with, with what nonverbal ob oftentimes comes with, what are some of the other challenges that parents are dealing with, with these kids that would, that would maybe make somebody think there's no way this kid can spell? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, there's a lot of impulsiveness that comes with it. So, you know, if they're biting themselves, if they pull people's hair, if they get up and walk around the room, if they don't look at you, all of those things we've been taught people don't do when they're paying attention to something. Do you know what I'm saying? People don't do... Like, no, when, I, actually, I don't think I understand. Sorry. So like when you and I are talking, you know, mm -hmm. we make eye contact, we stay seated, we mm -hmm. listen when the other person's talking and we don't speak. What people don't realize is that requires so much motor control. I'm keeping my body in my seat. I'm moving the tiny muscles in my eyes to look at you when I'm talking. And then I'm also holding my tongue, even if there's something that I want to say. Mm -hmm. But the thing with these non-speakers is that listening doesn't have a look and our signs of listening mm -hmm. as neurotypical people take a lot of motor control that non-speakers just don't have. And so if I have a session where, you know, my spellers walking around when they're yelling, when they're, you know, trying to get something out of the fridge, their parent is like, they don't care about this. They're just walking around. They're not looking at you. They're talking over you. And it's seen as disinterest. It's seen as disrespect yeah. because that's what we've been taught. But if you don't have the motor skills to show that you're listening, then how would anybody know that you're listening? How would anybody know that you're interested or capable of doing these things? You know what I'm saying? Well, Absolutely. That makes all kinds of sense. So my 10-year-old is, is one of the smartest kids. He's one of the smartest humans on the planet. I, I swear, this kid. <laughs> and yes, he's mine and I'm biased, but the kid is brilliant. Yeah. And he is, there's, I don't think there's a word spoken in the home that he doesn't hear and mm -hmm. digest and make something out of. I mean, he asks some of the most incredible questions from conversations he's overheard that I didn't even know he was a part of. But mm -hmm. he was always a part of it. He might be in the next room playing Legos, but he's listening to what's going on in the other room. Right. It sounds just the same to me. Mm -hmm. uh, now, if I want to sit down and talk to him, he'll sit down and talk with me like a you know neurotypical child would. Right. Uh, but let's face it, not all neurotypical kids are particularly patient with those types of conversations anyway, right? Mm -hmm. They'd much rather be looking at what's in the fridge than talking to an adult about whatever mm -hmm. boring topic that adult <laughs> wants to talk about. And yeah. so to me, that just, that actually seems typical uh, in, in some ways, uh, even for, like I say, neurotypical people. But I would also anticipate, and again, I'm, I'm just throwing my thoughts out there because I haven't yeah. lived this life as a parent of someone in this situation. But if you don't think you can teach a kid to do a thing, then you're not going to teach the kid to do that thing, right? right. And so they're not taught like neurotypical kids are to be polite, to say please and thank you, to do mm -hmm. you know many of these other things and to sit and listen. And so whether they're capable of it or not, they probably haven't even been in many cases taught that, I would assume. I think that's, you know, fair to think that they haven't been. I guess it depends on the family. and taught those yeah, things. Yeah. But, you know, I have a speller who bites herself sometimes. And her parents always okay. say, be nice, be nice. And I'm like, she doesn't want to bite herself. Who wants to hurt themselves, you know? Right. And so they know what it means to be polite. They know what it means to show courtesy and to show respect. They just don't have the motor skills to exhibit those behaviors and those emotions like you or I do. So in many cases, they've they've learned it, even mm -hmm. though maybe they haven't been taught it uh, mm -hmm. directly, um, but they're not capable of doing it. Is that exactly. essentially what you're saying? Okay. Yes. So then let's talk about this kind of we, maybe we should have started at the beginning, but go sort of high level on this okay. thing because I'm this is just 
I could talk to you all day, Kenzie. This is so <laughs> fascinating to me. I hope it's as fascinating to those listening as it is to me. So when we have a child like this, that let's, and let's, I'm just going to paint a picture. Um, 20 years old. Okay. We'll pick that, that age. So we have an adult child, um, still completely dependent upon, you know, mom and dad or, or whoever's raising that, this child. Um, they've been nonverbal all their life. Uh, they do have some, uh, some of these motor skill issues where they are hitting themselves, hitting mm-hmm. others, um, causing some damage even in the house, uh, mm-hmm. breaking things and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not able to go to the bathroom on their own. They're significantly, I'm going to use this word, I don't know if it's the right word to use, but significantly handicapped in the way that they're able to live their life, we'll mm-hmm. say. What up to this point, or up until just a few years ago, when when uh, Soma and and uh, sorry, I want to make sure I get these names right. Liz Vossler, is that right? Yeah. Um, started doing this type of stuff. Um, they were looked at as mentally handicapped children, mm-hmm. um, not physically handicapped children as much, even though they may have some physical handicaps. Yeah. Um, and this was a mental problem that would prevent them from being able to learn uh, not just how to communicate, but how to do many of these other things. Mm-hmm. But what you're saying and what we're what the movie Spellers is saying, if I understand correctly, is that that is just absolutely not true at all. Yeah. It's not a mental problem. It's a physical neurological, but not brain as much as, well, at least not cognitive, we'll say. Yeah. It's not a cognitive problem. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's a neurological problem that is affecting motor skills and the ability to actually do those things that they're not able to do. And also the ability to control themselves from doing things such as self-harm or harming others, even whether it's you know accidental or, or whatever. Yep, exactly. So that is a paradigm shift of like epic proportions. So it yeah. does make sense to me that people would say, whoa, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're calling BS on this, that that can't be the case. Mm-hmm. But you said something that I don't want to gloss over because I think it's super poignant and frankly, pretty potentially devastating emotionally for a parent that if that's what you've always thought about your child... And if you've talked about your child in that way, in front of your child Mm -hmm. for 20 years, Mm -hmm. the idea that that's not what's been happening in their head, that they've been hearing all this, they've been processing all this and understanding all of this for all this time, and you've been wrong, Mm -hmm. really by no fault of your own, Mm -hmm. but you've been wrong based on what you were taught about what you believed your child's capabilities were, that would be... An incredibly, I I think, some like half scary and half exciting pill to swallow. Yeah, it's it's a lot. (laughs) It's it's a lot. (laughs) What do you see? What are you witnessing? Because we've talked about what you witness with the kids. What are you seeing with the parents? What what's their response to this? Lots of tears. Um, I have to imagine. Lots of tears for a lot of different reasons. Um, You know, I was just talking with a parent the other day and she was like, I had no idea how many times did we say that, you know, she's not smart. How many times did we say that like she can't do anything or that she's not capable of becoming anything. And they, in my experience, the parents just feel like this immense guilt, which makes sense. Mm. And I buffer that by saying, you're, you're not a medical professional. Like you're just doing what people told you, you know, doctors tell you this, doctors tell you that they're brilliant people. And so you were just acting on medical advice and what the professionals are saying. And now that you're realizing that that's probably not the case, that's a huge pill to swallow. And it's a lot. And so I tell families, give yourself grace. You know, this isn't your fault. You weren't doing it intentionally. And the spellers always feel the same way too. You know, they don't harbor ill will towards their parents. They say, you're doing what you were told. You had no clue. There was no way for you to know this. So it's it's a lot. It's really emotional. 
It's got to be absolutely amazing. So, in, in, and in that, I think that's maybe the biggest thing that I would hope that parents listening to this or people listening to this who know uh, nonverbal, you know, non-speakers out there that are, you know, wondering, is this right for me, I guess? Mm-hmm. Um, or is this right for the individual that I know that I, you know, maybe want to share this podcast with or watch this movie with or whatever it is? For that person, what would you say? What If they say, is this the right thing for us to try, even though we've been down this road for, or we've been down the autism road for 20 years, what's your answer? I would say that the absolute worst thing that could happen is you just try something new. You know, I have families come to us and they say, you know, we've tried ABA, we've tried speech therapy, we've tried this, that, and the other. What makes this different? And, you know, obviously the approach is different. Um, Chances are your child's never been talked to in a way that presumes competence. I tell families, just try, just try it for a little bit. See what you think. Talk to me, look at videos of other people doing it, and then we'll chat about it. You know, it's supposed to be an open discussion. I'm used to the skepticism. I'm used to the criticism. It comes with the job. Um, But just try it. Just do it. Make the leap. Because really, I guess that is the question. If if there's that level of skepticism and this ingrained belief, and I have to imagine it's very ingrained. Like I said, I I, I mentioned religion earlier, but there probably is, you know, that that level of devotion to that idea, we'll say, in terms of that child not being competent mentally uh, and having that ability uh, cognitively to do this. If that's if the worst thing that can happen is it's another thing that we try, uh, because this is not, based on what I witnessed, this is not anything that is aggressive in any way towards the child. Mm-hmm. It's not trying to uh, change their behaviors right. or their nervous tics or whatever they're called in, in, in this case. It's just trying to essentially assess and teach the child how to communicate. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work and nothing changes. And if it works, a whole new world is opened up. Yeah. It's wow. a lot of parents, they're like, my kid is 30 and I just talked to them for the first time. That's huge. You know, you've spent 30 years with this person that has never said anything to you. Yeah. It's unbelievable. We don't, we don't focus on quote unquote, behaviors. We just want them to be able to communicate for themselves and advocate for themselves and other people. Well, and and what a change in the family dynamic at that point, right? Yeah. Uh, one, one thing that was particularly, I thought, super poignant in the film is the verbal um, uh, siblings and their response to their previously non-communicative uh, sibling and seeing them have a relationship different than they were able to ever able to have before, th- that was just like, <laughs> wow, to be so cool. I mean, the parent thing as a parent, yeah. uh, you know, it th- that was what just kept me in tears the whole time. But mm-hmm. watching the sibling thing was also incredibly beautiful. And, and grandparents were involved in the film and, and watching that. I mean, my gosh, absolutely yeah. beautiful stuff. Okay, so then, I, again, I could talk to you all day long, and, and I probably would, um, but I don't know that people want to listen to that long of, a, <laughs> of an interview. So let's let's start wrapping this up. For someone who's interested in what you do um, mm-hmm. here in Utah, okay, mm-hmm. for the local audience, um, how do they learn more? They can learn more by going to iask.org. It's i-ask.org. ASC. Yes. And that stands for International Association for Spelling as Communication. Okay. And there you can find a map of practitioners worldwide. Oh, so that's for anybody, anyone in Utah or out. Now, how many people in Utah are doing this right now? Are you alone in this or are there others? It is just me. It's just you. Wow. (laughs) So. Have you've, I'm assuming you've looked at the map and there are some areas maybe where there's a lot more people than others, but are there people in every state in this country? I don't believe there's 
people in every state. We have big concentrations in Georgia, Florida, Virginia, and California. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think states like Wyoming, Montana um, don't have practitioners. I can double check, but I think they're they're pretty low. Um, And if they can't find someone local, what else can they do? Is there anything that can be done with this not one-on-one in person? Yeah. um, Thanks to quarantine, we kind of learned how to do it over Zoom. So that was kind of a blessing where we trained the parent how to do it over Zoom. Um, I've also had some families travel down from Boise, um, St. George, so a few hours away and we'll do like a whole weekend where I meet with you, you know, two times a day for a weekend and get you set up so that you can do this at home with your child. Oh, that's, that's really, really exciting. Okay. And for people that want to learn a little bit more about it prior to, uh, getting involved in it, let's say, uh, or for people that want to, you know, uh, read more about it, people that want to watch the film, how can they do that? Um, I believe you can watch the film on Kinema. And you can also get more information on IASC.org. That is the association that does all of the trainings for the practitioners. So they have links to resources for families, non-speakers. They have some really cool blog posts that are written by non-speakers. And they also have a really cool uh, research study on eye tracking. I believe that's the only one that's up right now, but I know they have quite a few research studies in in their back pocket. Mm, very cool. And uh, th- th- real quickly, because I know you're, you weren't involved in the film. You were there at the showing of it. Uh, but uh, the, f- the film was done by uh, who? I think that's important for people to understand as well. The film was done. It was based off the book by J.B. Hanley and his mm-hmm. son, Jamie. Um, the association is Spellers, I believe. Um I don't know much about spellers because I work with I ask. <laughs> okay. Is it another group that does the same type of thing? Yes. Um, Dana Johnson and Don Marie Gaben are uh, two excellent practitioners. Dana Johnson's the one who trained me and okay. um, they oversee spellers. Oh, interesting. Okay. So there's actually a couple of different options out there. And with the uh, the reason I brought up the book and the movie in terms of who did it. So J.B. Handley and Jamie. Jamie was a uh, is a speller. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And J.B. Handley is his father. Yes. And it's the and, and a, a pretty decent chunk of the movie is kind of their story uh, and how it went. But I think that's really important, too, to understand that this this movie spellers was done by someone who lived this uh, completely. And frankly, who was 100% based on what I saw in the movie anyway, not dismissive of it, but no way this is going to work kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. But the person that told him about it, if I remember correctly, was credible. And they thought, okay, we'll give it a shot, but this isn't going to work. And then just had their mind blown and their world changed. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. from what I remember, they went and saw Elizabeth Fossler. Um, all of the spellers know her as Evie, and she's in Virginia, and she's just the greatest human on the planet. Well, it's funny because I don't, you know, of course, I didn't know any of these people, right? Yeah. And uh, she, if if I have it correctly, uh, she was the first practitioner that we saw in the film. Is that right? I believe was that, that may have been Don Marie. Um, oh, that was Don Marie. Okay. Elizabeth, she was in the videos of when Jamie did like his first spelling session. And I don't think you actually see her, but you hear her voice. And Oh, OK. All right. Yeah. My my point in asking it because it doesn't matter. I imagine that uh, she is just as amazing as as uh, this Don Marie. But Don Marie mm-hmm. in the film, I immediately loved this person. I mean, mm-hmm. just watching her work with the spellers was so beautiful and her patience and her desire to really help these people was just, mm-hmm. it, it was obvious. And I, I think, I hope so much, Kenzie, that anybody watching this film, it's convincing enough that they're going to say, okay, I can't, I can't dismiss this anymore. We got to look into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the same with the book, uh, and the book, I, I've forgotten. I was going to bring it down and I forgot what's the title of the book again. I Do you think remember? it's called underestimated. 
Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. So let's do this then. For you listening, we just went through a bunch of different contact info. It'll all be in the show description. We'll have links for you. Uh, I'll have a link to Kinema where you can watch the film. Uh, We'll have a link for the book uh, if you want to buy the book. We'll link to um, Kinsey's. You you have a website, Kinsey, that people can go to? I don't. You don't? Okay. (laughs) How do people contact you directly then if they're local here and are interested in your help? Well, I can give you my email. Um, and then okay. I get most of my contacts from the IASC website. Oh, okay. So they actually go into IASC, put yep. in their zip code and 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 get to you through there. Okay. Yep. All right. That works. So we'll have all of that in there for you. So if you're driving down the road and listening to this, um, that's okay. When you stop, we'll have all this available. Kenzie, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners uh, before I let you go? Um, always remember to presume competence. Non-speaking doesn't mean (laughs) (laughs) non-thinking. I love it. I love it very much. And I will just say this um, again. And and, well, first off, I'm going to thank you. I'm going to let you go. And then I'm going to give a couple of parting words to to my audience here. So thank you so much for not just joining me, but for what you're doing, uh, for providing a level of hope and not just hope, but also um, an actual process that can help these non-communicative people communicate for the first time with their loved ones. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever witnessed in my life. It's absolutely, I, like I said, I cried through the whole dang movie. I got to watch it again. Uh, anytime that I feel like I need a good cry, I know what to go to. So, <laughs> that's easy. so thank you for doing that. Thank you for joining me on Vitality Radio. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I had lots of fun. I could also talk about this all day. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine we could. All right. And for the rest of you listening to this, if you know anybody, uh, whether you know them well or you don't know them well, but you know of their plight, we'll say uh, the stress of being a parent uh, in this position with a uh, non-speaking child is... uh, I can't imagine it. I can't, I can't imagine what that looks like. I know it's incredibly challenging. Um, I have personally friends, uh, cl- uh, pretty close friends that have dealt with this and are dealing with this. And it is a complete life change, permanent life change. Uh, there's nothing quite like it that I've, that I've witnessed. And this as a possibility uh, for that family, for that person, uh, for those individuals is one of the most beautiful Uh, hopeful things that I've ever seen in, frankly, a world that I think probably oftentimes seems kind of hopeless when it comes to uh, at least the communication and and the situation these people find themselves in. So if you know somebody like that, please share this podcast. Please share the film Spellers. Again, all of it will be linked in the show description. Uh, Share the book if it's someone that you know that is more of a reader than a watcher. uh, Do it that way. Get the word out. I, I feel like this is going to be, unfortunately, at least artificially suppressed, if not uh, suppressed in in more aggressive ways. It is a paradigm shift. It's not um, coming down from the mainstream. Uh, and therefore, uh, it's, uh, it's fighting against a long-held dogma that I believe needs to be obliterated. And I aim to do my best to get the word out to as many people as I possibly can. And I'll need your help with that. So please share this podcast. Please share the film, share the book, watch it yourself, read it yourself. I don't have a dog in this fight. I don't have a child in this situation. And it's one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen. So I highly encourage you to watch it, whether you're uh, in this position or not. It is something that all of us need to watch. We're in a world that seems incredibly divided, that seems incredibly I don't even know what the word is, Uh, in many ways, like it's spinning out of control, uh, at least in my view. And I think all of us need to hold on to some beautiful things and some hopeful things. And that's what these spellers uh, represent. So I highly encourage you to check it out yourself and share it. Thank you so much for listening to me. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. been listening to the Vitality Radio Podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, 
Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you.